I'm really excited uh, about the uh, about the webinar today because because it's such an important issue, and I was really uh, pleased that um, Crest Insurance Services in San Diego came to um, Realtor Magazine and said that they wanted to do the sponsored webinar. Um, it is a sponsored webinar, and um, and so at Realtor Magazine, we think that the information that you're going to learn is 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 valuable, and that's why we agreed to promote the webinar. But just to be clear that. Um, the magazine doesn't endorse the content of the webinar. It's just um, promoting the information because we think it, you could find it valuable. And of course, there's many E&O providers, and this webinar is being, is being sponsored by one of them, Crest Insurance Services. So we do want to thank them for doing that. So with that, let me go ahead and um, introduce our speakers, and then we'll get started. Um, this is Stephen Sargenti. He's, um, he is the um, he's the CEO and president of Crest Real Estate uh, Insurance Services in San Diego. And again, as I mentioned, it's a firm specializing in E&O insurance. And Steve's held a variety of positions um, within the industry, um, including with Farmers Insurance Group, which many of you will be familiar with. It's one of the largest commercial carriers. And uh, he was president of Accurate Claim Services, which um, processed claims and also did consulting. Our other speaker is Robert Sunderland, who's the managing partner of Sunderland McCutcheon. And his practice emphasizes real estate transactions and the defense of licensees uh, throughout California. Um, in the course of his career, he's defended uh, in excess of 2,000 licensees in the California court. And uh, in addition to that, he's been involved in basically um, providing risk management consulting services as well as education, particularly um, education for brokers and agents. And before that, he was a general contractor uh, building uh, residential homes, so he's got that side of the industry as well. So let me now uh, turn it over to our first speaker. Hi, Steve Argenti here. Uh, thanks for joining us today to learn about the one real, you know, loophole nightmare that can be career crushing. Um, in our 20 years of activity protecting real estate agents and brokers, uh, we keep seeing these same loopholes come up over and over again. And, and therefore, we've designed this seminar to explain one particular problem, not in the coverage per se, uh, but actually the way that the uh, coverage is bought by brokers and agents to educate the real estate public so they can better protect themselves. Uh, how many of you know an agent that's been sued and didn't do anything wrong? Lots of us. Uh, it's America, you can sue anyone for anything. If you had to guess how many of your colleagues are going to be slapped with a lawsuit tomorrow, what would you say? If it's an average day, it'll be more than 50. Now, that's right, that's 13,000 lawsuits are filed against real estate professionals each year. Now, brokers and agents recognize this and have bought errors and emissions insurance to protect against those lawsuits. The average one costs $20,000, and some of them can cost more than a million. Now, the E&O companies are pretty good at hiring lawyers like Rob Sunderland, who's with us today, and working to keep the cost down, and as a result, E&O covered claims cost about a third as those that aren't. So it's in everybody's interest to make sure more claims are covered rather than less. 
most active real estate agents and brokers carry some form of insurance. They've recognized the importance of it. And you might ask, my firm has a policy, so I'm covered. That's a common statement that we hear. And in most cases, they're right, mostly. Many firms do excellent jobs of vetting the insurance coverage that they're buying and buying top-notch coverage from good companies that protect their agents from most of all, uh, most or all of the activity they do. Um, there's two ways that, that firms can provide this protection. The first, they buy an ENOA policy from a traditional company. Um, but keep in mind, the firm, not the salesperson, then controls what, where, when, who, and how the coverage works. And even when claims are filed, you sort of get what you get. And that might not seem like a huge problem today, but understand that claims sometimes take 10 years to get filed. The average claim against a real estate professional happens more than a year after the closing, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes 10. So in order to do that sort of due diligence on the brokerage, you almost need a crystal ball to look all those years into the future. Um, a second way we commonly see for agents to uh, receive some sort of E&O protection from a firm uh, is when a firm is self-insured. And self-insurance can be tricky. Uh, lots of the large brokerages do this, but you have to be particularly careful about the nature of the agreement to see exactly what the firm's promising to do and when. Now, in most situations, all of these things work out just fine. Agents are protected. The firms buy good protection, everybody wins. But there are eight particular instances that can leave agents really stuck out in the cold. First, how many agents stay with the same brokerage throughout their career? Not too many. Loophole number one, you decide to move or switch firms and the old and new both point fingers at each other and don't cover past work. Yeah, by all means, Rob Sunderland here. I, I guess this is the part where I come in and I share war stories. Uh, that seems to get everybody's attention. Uh, the, the challenge that you have, uh, you know, obviously the brokers that I work with um, have a close relationship through me with their carrier, and we're very careful about their coverages. Unfortunately, all too frequently, agents will go from uh, one firm to another, it occurs, and the new firm may not have coverage for that type of activity. A classic example that I've seen that has been uncovered where I've had to defend people is the quote-unquote innocent property manager. Uh, somebody leaves a, a brokerage that I'm affiliated with. Let's assume that brokerage has property management coverage, even though they may not be doing a lot of property management or any because they want to be very careful for their agents. The agent now moves to another firm who says, we don't do property management. There's no way I'm going to pay for that in my policy. They don't have it. The agent, uh, as a courtesy, uh, picks up some rent checks, maybe calls a plumber to come out to do something for a client who they once represented. Shazam, guess what? They're going to be considered a property manager. They get sued as a property manager. There's no coverage. The old broker is not going to have responsibility for that necessarily. It's not a transaction that involved them. And the new broker is going to say, or their carrier is going to say, we don't have property management coverage. The agent's going to have no idea about that. They're not going to know. They don't even realize they're property managing, perhaps. We've seen a lot of those types of claims. And unfortunately, as you move from one place to the next, you don't always know what you're getting. And quite frankly, 
very good real estate brokers that are very good at their profession don't always understand DNO unless they have a very close relationship with their broker, their insurance broker, who's taking the time to explain these things to them, and an attorney who's also translating some of these items for them, ensuring they've got the coverage. There's a lot of risk, and that's basically what Steve's addressing here. Uh, second biggest loophole, um, and these aren't in particular order; they're just biggest in in uh, in, in ordinal. Uh, the firm stopped paying on its policy. Three uh, percent of policies cancel. So three out of every hundred firms stop buying coverage because they haven't paid for it, typically by accident, um, and can't get what's called prior acts. And the way to think about that is um, just like switching health insurance and having a pre-existing condition, if your coverage isn't continuously in place, then the insurance companies, they don't like to cover the old deals. So 3% of the firms out there are canceling every year and therefore losing for themselves and their agents all the protection for all of their old deals. Um, number three, uh, firms go, goes out of business. Um, I took a call uh, not too long ago from a lady that was sued on a transaction that had closed uh, eight years prior. Uh, her broker, um, sadly, uh, got cancer and passed away. Uh, the firm was wrapped up, and no insurance was bought at all. Um, this lady's on her own. Even though she, at the time that transaction closed, was insured, by her brokerage, the broker sadly passed away and the business is gone and she's the only pocket left to go after. And much like a cancellation or going out of business, sometimes firms get busy and policies don't renew on time because after all, who likes to deal with insurance paperwork and hassles and bookkeepers and filling out applications and all those crazy things insurance companies make you do, um, sometimes they don't renew on time. And if they don't, the same thing happens. They lose coverage for previous deals, which, remember, can go back one, two, three, even ten years. Now, some good insurance companies offer grace periods to help fix that, but I don't know of anyone that offers more than a month grace period. Can, can I, um, this is Rob Freeman, if I can chime in with a quick question. Maybe I'll address this later on in the presentation, but... Um, you mentioned on number two that firms sometimes stop paying on their policy. Um, in some cases, don't in some cases, like in some states, they have to have insurance, and can they stop paying on their policy in those cases? That, that's an excellent point. Um, it, we get to it a part later in, in the uh, in the presentation, but there are uh, 12 or 13 states. I can't remember which the right number is that actually require individual salespeople to carry E&O insurance as a condition of getting a license. And those policies are prepaid and non-refundable. In, uh, in so other places, go on. Uh, so that's different than those states, they don't require the firm itself to have insurance, they require the individual to have insurance in those cases. Correct. Okay. They, they require actually the broker to have a policy and the individual aid. All the licensees do, but if it's not a licensee per se, they don't require coverage because there's nothing to, uh, there's no enabling legislation to let them do that. Okay. Um, what I'm getting, what I'm getting at is a little bit different. When a simple bookkeeping error uh, or or a change in staff uh, causes a firm to miss an installment payment, and unlike your auto insurance, well, you know, you don't drive the car for a week and you. Uh, you get it all settled up and you get the insurance back in force, everything's fine. 
E&O insurance is more punitive than that because it simply removes all the coverage for all your old deals. The key is continuous insurance coverage, which is the theme we'll get to, and that's how to close out all these loopholes. Now, number five uh, is the merger and acquisition event. And as you know, over the years, um, mergers and acquisitions are common in the real estate space. And the buyer firm and the seller firm end up negotiating the terms of their transfer really uh, outside of the agent's purview. They have no idea what's going on, whether their liabilities are transferring to the new firm or not, whether there's a tail insurance policy crafted around it. And firms that call us, uh, we end up crafting custom solutions to help them. Clients of Roberts probably go through a, a great machination to make sure um, all the liabilities of the agents are placed in a funded event. Um, many cases that we see that doesn't happen. By all means, I mean, we see this frequently. Uh, somebody's retiring, they're getting out of the business. Their whole idea is, I'm getting my payday and I'm moving on. So the broker may even move out of state. They may even move out of the country uh, and retire somewhere else. They think they're done. Uh, the new purchaser frequently in these uh, mergers and acquisitions will say, I'm only uh, entering into an asset purchase. I'm not purchasing the liabilities. And therefore, I don't have any legal responsibility. Well, that's nice. The lawyers can argue about that after the fact. But the agent that's sitting there in the middle that is getting sued for that previous transaction who felt that they were they were paying their per transaction or their annual E&O fees will not have coverage because neither of the brokers ensured that that um, policy was going to be continuing in place. It happens all too frequently, obviously, with my clients, that are involved in those mergers and acquisitions were exceptionally zealous about that. That's the type of thing you lose sleep over, just as we are that they don't lose their prior acts and they maintain continuous coverage. But for every firm that has a very close relationship with their insurance broker or has a very close relationship with a, an E&O related defense attorney that's extra sensitive to these items, there are hundreds if not thousands that do not. And that is the inherent risk because that agent's going to move or to from one to the next, or there's going to be a sale, and they're going to have no coverage, and they're going to have no idea until it's too late. We also have uh, situations where a firm will hire their own attorney instead of filing a claim. Um, it's, it's not unusual. In fact, I will have clients that will um, I work with. The, the difference, uh, perhaps, in my relationship, because I have a very close relationship typically with the carriers that are involved, is I will be approved as panel counsel, and I'm acting essentially as a liaison, and there's a relationship there, and I've got the carrier on notice, at least, and I will move forward with it. However, you will have a lot of brokers out there that will have somebody just write a letter, a classic, oh, we wrote a letter and we thought it was going to go away, and they hear nothing for another year. They renew their policy. They don't say anything about the issue because, as far as they could tell, it was dead. Lo and behold, it becomes a lawsuit. It becomes a bigger issue. And now they go and they say, well, wow, I just got a lawsuit. And they tender that to the insurance carrier. The insurance carrier sees a letter from a year or more ago. And their position is, you had notice of this. You didn't report it timely. There's no coverage. Although an attorney worked on it, although the broker was responsive to the issue and tried to do their best to prevent it from getting into a bigger issue, there's a problem because it wasn't reported. I've inherited a lot of claims like these over the years where predecessor counsel have worked on things, and it's a terrible position for the agent to be in and, and for the broker as well. Uh, you know, I had one situation, an exceptional, I always 
and go back to this. It was early in my career, and part of the reason why I think it really motivated me to, to stick in this line of work. I had a very, very successful agent. She was a top producer, large in the national statistics. She was sued in a, relating to a transaction. She did absolutely nothing wrong. She was completely vindicated when it was all said and done. In fact, we drove the plaintiff into bankruptcy and he lost his house. There was nothing more we could do to show that she had done everything. Short of stomping on this individual's grave, she did everything you could do. She had a perfect file. Her statistics went down. She went from perhaps number 14, give or take, to number 78 or so in the system completely slid down. She did nothing wrong, but every phone call, is this going to be a lawsuit? What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? There's absolutely nothing that can be more distracting for an agent than being involved in litigation. And it's the loopholes that get them. It's the loopholes they don't know about. It's the loopholes that even their, their broker's unaware of. The last uh, loophole that doesn't happen a lot, but it happens a couple of times a year, is uh, when a firm buys one, two, maybe even $3 million of insurance coverage, and $1 million is the most common, um, and that insurance limit is used up by a claim against the brokerage and one of their salespeople. Uh, when that happens, there's no more coverage left for anyone. And when you start thinking about an average claim costing $20,000 and a firm with 100 or even 1,000 licensees all dividing up a $1 million in coverage amongst themselves, it becomes apparent that that coverage limit isn't always adequate. And not only is that broker on the hook for any uninsured damages, the agent may be also. Uh, and so those are the top eight E&O loopholes that we found when firms buy coverage and agents solely rely on the coverage bought by the firm. Um, it's not just hypothetical. Um, the risk is real, and it happens at least once a month. Uh, for example, uh, a large Western firm not too long ago, uh, experienced some financial difficulties completely unrelated to the real estate market. Um, they just they weren't running their business quite right and had a couple of judgments against them on, on uh, non-real estate transactions. They were experiencing such poor, uh, significant financial problems, they stopped paying for the E&O insurance. They didn't tell their agents, 2,000 of them. So not only did 2,000 agents lose coverage for today's deals, they lost coverage for all their old deals going back up to 10 years. We took a lot of phone calls for those agents and tried to do what we could for them, but some of them were out of uh, coverage for 6, 8, 12 months, and we were unable to assist them because they didn't have that linchpin of protection, that continuous coverage that protects against the pre-existing conditions. Um, second, a, a few years ago, a household insurance name that everyone here would know and love, uh, they have great commercials, um, their agency force uh, convinced them to start writing malpractice insurance, and E&O insurance for realtors was one of the coverages they decided to write. Well, new companies that come into the uh, E&O business don't like to take on old liabilities. They like to start new. And so that company didn't sell past acts coverage to any of their clients, which of course meant all of their clients lost all the protection for their old deals, one, two, three, up to 10 years of exposure for all of those deals went away because a firm purchased coverage from a household name insurance company and never noticed it didn't cover their prior transactions. This is something that once you lose, you cannot get back.
And Rob was talking before about uh, a broker who decided not to file a claim and instead um, decided to pay for an attorney on their own. A common decision, Rob, would you say? It happens frequently. How expensive can it be? I mean, to, an average claim out there can run $20,000 very easily, unfortunately and regrettably for the broker who has no insurance perhaps, and certainly for the carrier that has to cover it. But these things are cheap. Number four, we, uh, we looked at a firm um, just last month uh, that failed to renew its policy with another insurance company on time uh, because their bookkeeper fell ill. She got cancer. And that failure to renew led to a loss of coverage for all prior transactions. There was a $135,000 claim presented against the agent and the firm, and they are currently struggling to figure out how and who is going to pay for the claim. And as Rob alluded to earlier in the mergers and acquisitions um, environment, and, and we take these calls all the time because we're a specialist in this line of business and we recognize, look, more protection is better and we really need to see your deal to make sure all your current agents and past deals are all protected. Um, we offer, like all insurers do, these, these extended periods uh, in the M&A environment where an old firm that's selling can have more time to report claims that come um, in against their agents. Very few companies and, and only very limited circumstances offer that in an unlimited environment. Any firm of any size can, can only buy that protection for one, two, or three years, and it often isn't part of the deal. And when that happens, and we take calls uh, uh, periodically from agents who said, hey, I was insured with Century 21X, uh, and Century 21X was bought by Century 21Y, um, and Century 21X uh, had this uh, insurance protection, what, to, you know, I'd like to make a claim. And the reality is Century 21X, when they sold, shuttered up the doors, took the money, and parachuted off to Cabo San Lucas, and left all the agents in that exposure floating out there. Scary stories, guys. It's real. It costs millions of dollars to real estate agents and lots of money to real estate brokers. So you might say, gosh, um, you know, what's the solution to all of this? H how do we make sure these loopholes are as small as possible? And it all really boils down to just one thing that, that we've hit on a couple of times now, this concept of continuous coverage. It's not like auto insurance where when the car gets into a wreck, whatever policy then is in force takes care of the wreck. Here the coverage works when the lawsuit happens, what coverage is in force. And because we've learned that it takes one, two, three, sometimes ten years for that transaction that closed or didn't, to create a lawsuit, you almost need a crystal ball to look in advance to see what kind of protection you're going to have in one, two, three, ten years. And any gap that happened after you got out of the business, say, you retired can still cause that advance. So the only way to close up that loophole is to make sure you have continuous coverage and you have to keep looking every year and check that you do. Um, Rob uh, Friedman mentioned earlier that a number of states require uh, individual coverage. Now, they think it's so important they won't issue you a real estate license in places like Colorado and Tennessee and Louisiana. They won't give you one unless you carry around your own non-cancelable insurance. 
it's for two reasons. You know, one for consumer protection because they want all the salespeople to be protected, uh, the buyers to be protected, and the salespeople to be insured. Uh, but secondarily, um, they recognize these loopholes create distractions and friction within the industry, which is a bad thing for all buyers and sellers. So, well, not to interrupt. So it's around two thirty now, about halfway through, and I think we got a lot of questions coming in. I wonder if we took about. How about if I ask you some of the questions that are coming in from the audience, uh, maybe half a dozen of those, and then you guys and then proceed from there, and then we'll go to some more questions after that. What do you think of that? Love to take them. Sounds okay. great. So let me ask some of the questions from the audience now. Um, here's one that came in. If I'm a property manager and a realtor, uh, but I don't handle the maintenance side of the rental portfolio, the firm that you work for has a maintenance department that does handle the maintenance side. Am I still responsible if something goes wrong? Uh, Rob Sunderland here. Absolutely. I mean, you're involved in the property management. You're going to be one cog in that wheel. Uh, if you're collecting the rents or you're making the phone calls or it's your firm that you're associated with, more likely than not, I would say nine out of ten times, if there's going to be an issue in a lawsuit, you're going to be named in it, absolutely. And you're going to want to make sure you've got property management coverage there. Okay, now this question I think you guys already answered, but the question is, all, are brokers required to have E&O coverage by law? And uh, do you want to just uh, re go over that one again? In, in most places, no. Um, a licensee in a, in a few states is required to carry some minimal level of coverage themselves. So, for example, in uh, Tennessee, a broker that has a brokerage license uh, must buy insurance to, in order to get that license issued. But in most places, the firms aren't required by law to carry it. And the only uh, comment I would have with that is if you are a franchisee, sometimes under your franchise or franchisee agreement, they may require it. But that's a separate contract issue. That's not something that the state is regulating, nor would the state know if you're actually current with your E&O or not. What's our next question? Okay. Um, so my company self-insures and insists that all agents pay the one-time fixed fee, which is good for a year. Should I ask to see the policy? Absolutely. You want to make sure that the activities you're performing are covered. And you don't just want to see it now. You want to see it every year. Because what happens if you're conducting property management activity and that's covered this year, but uh, two years from now, your, your broker changes the coverage he buys and doesn't buy property management coverage anymore, and a claim comes in against you for management that you've been doing for several years, you might not have coverage. And it's not unusual to ask uh, for some details on the policy. After all, as uh, many licensees will know, if you're engaged in REO or bank uh, foreclosure sales, the banks will require that you give a copy at least of your declarations page to show what the basic endorsements are. Uh, it's not unreasonable for an agent that's paying for something to ask a question, what am I getting? Okay. Uh, here's another question. Well, my company has just changed to a new company, and I left and I went on uh, my own, and I have insurance well with you guys, Chris. How do I make sure that I'm covered as I have been in the business for 12 years? Do you have an individual policy with Chris? If you do, like if you do have an individual policy with Chris, it follows you everywhere. 
So it's portable. If you went to three firms or nine firms or 18 firms, and you as the individual licensee bought insurance coverage and weren't obtaining it through another brokerage, you're in perfect shape. Okay. There's a question coming from the from the brokerage owner. What should I tell the agents who are coming over to my new company regarding covering themselves? Well, my suggestion for, for brokers is that they have all of their individual licensees buy their own coverage. Then the broker, in turn, can buy coverage for the torts of their employees or for credentialing risk, you know, you hire the wrong guy, or for your independent liability. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, first, brokers really like that the agent policies then take all the losses. Agents are typically sued in a case for failing to disclose or misrepresenting certain facts, and the brokers are often sued for simply failing to supervise that behavior. The brokerage policies end up taking all of the losses which show up on loss runs and complicate buying insurance. Um, in the agent environment, when the agent policies take all the losses, the broker doesn't have that problem. Another benefit is uh, multiplied limits. Now, a brokerage might buy a million dollars in coverage, but if he had simply 10 agents that bought a million dollars in coverage each, that's a $10 million pool of protection for all the brokerage's transactions, not $1 million. And, and the third sort of um, more, more delicate one, which we see from time to time, um, is having individual agents buy their own E&O coverage more fairly allocates the cost of that risk amongst the agents. Um, we get comments from, uh, from agents who say, well, I pay my broker $200 for insurance, and Sally pays $200 for insurance. Uh, and, and I'm a high producer, and Sally is a, a low producer, uh, or, or even part-time, and they're both upset because they think they're getting a bad deal. And if, if it's the broker that's setting that, um, that allocation of costs, uh, that can create some friction between Sally, uh, you, and the broker. If the general insurance marketplace is allocating those costs, it's much easier to just say, well, you know, it, it costs what you cost. Um, this, this is not a question that has come in, but it's something that um, you said that just um, made me think of this. Let's say the broker, the uh, company that you work for has a policy and the agents are on the policy, and you as an individual agent go ahead and purchase individual coverage like you're recommending. So now you've got these two sets of coverage. Which one rules? Like if you get a claim against you, which one actually takes on the case? Is it the broker's, the company's coverage or your individual coverage? Well, it depends on how you acquire it. Um, if you acquire it from us, the agent policy responds first. Um, and the broker policy then responds second if the agent policy either doesn't respond at all or runs out of money. The, relation, the relationship between an agent and broker policy depends on the language in those policies, and I can only speak to the ones we sell. Uh, but our concept is the agent policies are the ones that should take the losses in most cases because the agents are the ones uh, conducting the actual sale of the property and against whom the alleged errors are most commonly asserted. Okay. Can you explain, this is another uh, audience question, can you explain a little bit more about having to report all potential claims and uh, what is the time frame for reporting a potential claim? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, claim reporting is typically uh, listed as a condition in the insurance policy. Many of them say as soon as possible. Some say as soon as practical. 
Um, most state laws uh, impose this sort of a, a prejudice notice rule that says, well, you can be a little late as long as it doesn't hurt the insurance company. But one thing's for certain, if a policy changes from one company to another and a, pol and a claim is known about in the prior insurance policy period and not presented until the second insurance policy period, neither one of those companies are going to pay the claim. So, uh, okay, another question coming in from the audience. Actually, we had a couple of questions along these lines, and the questions had to do with riders. When do you need to get a rider or multiple riders for your coverage, for your policy? Whenever you change your business activity. So you're a real estate uh, agent doing sales for years, and then you decide to do property management uh, or broke mortgages or uh, you're going to be an appraiser. Or, or whatever, uh, do a commercial sale. That's the time to call your insurance company and say, hey guys, I'm going to start this activity. I want to make sure it's insured for, not only for now, but for now and all future time, because whatever that activity is can create liability one, two, three, even up to 10 years in the future. So it's and I, I think with that point in mind, it's also very critical that the broker who's obtaining the policy, or, or an agent for that matter, anybody who's buying a policy, needs to have a very clear communication with their carrier about what they're doing. As an example, you'll see somebody out there that says, oh, look, I'm a residential person. I, I, I represent buyers and sellers of residential houses. They don't do vacant land parcels. They never do that. Well, you know, maybe they do one or two a year. Well, vacant land may be considered commercial, but they say it's zoned residential, so that's not commercial. I don't have a commercial endorsement. Well, the carrier may look at it as commercial, and there may be no coverage. So this is why when carriers ask these questions in these applications, they need to know about these items. And, and a good broker is going to spend time drilling down to these issues uh, with the applicants to make sure there's the coverage. So it's always important if you start doing something that's out of the box that you haven't done, you've made a change, or you're thinking about doing something new, to go back to your broker and make sure that you've got coverage for these items. And it's something that a lot of people forget to do. They're busy, but things happen midstream, and you don't want to find out after the fact that you didn't have coverage for it. We have some questions coming in about individual states. Now, I don't know if you're going to talk about pricing later, but Keep, keep in mind as you um, as we go forward next few minutes whether you how much you want to talk about in terms of pricing and how pricing is different in different states. Uh, one question is about our state requires keeping paperwork for seven years. If lawsuits can occur up to ten years, then um, is ten years a better time frame to keep documentation? It's a it's a great question. Um, not, not to sound flippant about it, if, you, if you've gone out of your way to maintain a good file, to have those disclosures that we recommend, and, and you're, you're really striving to do a diligent job, and you have a clean file, there's every reason why you want to have it after the fact. There's every reason why, if you get sued in 10 years, you'll finally be thankful that you saved all that paperwork. Uh, I guess, on the other hand, if you've got a really bad file, and you've done a miserable job, you maybe don't want to provide the exhibit A to what a miserable job you did. And so you want to shred those things at year seven. Uh, personally, my recommendation is you do an exceptional job all the time, and you save your paperwork until you run out of space, or if you're allowed to under your regulations, you scan and save them electronically so that you have access to them. That's my personal recommendation. I, I'm a 
I'm an attorney, so I like paperwork, but I like it in electronic form because I don't need to have 16 storage lockers. Okay. Uh, if I'm an agent and I purchase an individual policy, do I then opt out of paying the, you know, from my broker? I think uh, the answer to that is that's a question between the broker and the agent. Uh, personally, my experience has been that brokers will say no because you still have liability exposure to me as the broker. I still need to make sure that I'm providing the services that I'm providing, and there are costs for that. And that broker is still required pursuant to perhaps a franchise agreement or simple due diligence to maintain their own policy. So I don't think they're going to necessarily give somebody a free pass on that simply because there's another policy. Um, but, you know, every broker makes their own decisions on a case-by-case -case basis, perhaps. Um, I, I can't speak for what the broker will do. I can just tell you what I frequently say. Um, now, what happens if the agent stops practicing real estate and then a lawsuit is started, um, say, five years after um, the person's retirement? Would they um, would they be covered if they not? Of course, they're not going to carry. They're not going to continue to carry ENO, right? So, would they still be covered? In order to be in order to be covered, you have to continue to carry the ENO um, up till the time of your retirement um, and even past. Call your insurance company and tell them, hey, I'm retiring, but I want coverage for all my old deals. And they will either cut you a, a one-time cost right there to sell you a, a three or five, depending on your circumstances, or maybe even an unlimited um, amount of time to report those claims, or come up with some other solution. But the big mistake is to simply let the coverage lapse, believing, as many, many people do, um, that it's like car insurance, and the insurance enforced at the time of the transaction is the insurance that responds to the claim. It's not true. It's the insurance that's enforced at the time of the claim, which, as, as we talked about, can be one, two, three, even ten years later. That's the worst thing. I mean, I had a client that had to return to California for a 21-day trial. He was retired. He'd been out of the market and had to sell the property or, or written a contract in over five years. And the poor guy literally was looking at his potential life savings going down the drain. And he didn't have coverage because he was long gone, and he thought he didn't need to have it. So unless you have an individual policy that you're controlling your destiny continuously, and it may not be very costly in the, in the later years, or your previous brokerage uh, that you were affiliated with that you did the transaction through has maintained that policy continuously, you could be there without coverage. What, whether you're selling real estate or not isn't the key. The key is, can you be sued? And in America, it's an equal opportunity plaintiff's world where you can sue anybody anytime. And you can be sued for a transaction you did 15 years ago. And you can argue that there's a statute of limitations and everything else, but you're going to need an attorney to do it. And you're going to need to have an insurance policy that's active at that time to protect you. I mean, I'm just... This is not a question that came in, but um, let's say you, um, you're covered under your broker's policy and um, then you retire and then the broker continues to pay that policy and then you're sued three or, three or four years later. I mean, you as an individual agent, because the broker kept paying on that policy, are you covered or does it have to specifically uh, not, like, you know, make sure that you as an individual are covered or are you just covered blanket-wise? Most policies uh, will respond to uh, claims made against former salespeople as long as the salesperson was transacting for the broker at the time. So the caveat, though, is what happens if that future policy is different 
or doesn't really exist because you need a crystal ball to go find you know, whether the broker is going to buy a policy in two or three or five years. And if you're not making your own arrangements for continuous coverage, you have really no control and you're completely at their mercy. And, of course, that explains why the broker is probably going to want to continue to charge an agent the broker portion of the E&O while they're there because agents retire and they may be on the hook down the road. So they have to have that layer there. Uh, we got a bunch of questions. I don't know if we'll get to them all because I know there's other things that you guys want to talk about. Um, I'll just ask a couple more at this point. Can you pay for one transaction on a single basis and coverage stays with that transaction during the uh, current ownership that the agent was a party to? That is not a product that exists anywhere I'm aware of. Yeah, I think okay. I think in the industry there's a, a misunderstanding perhaps with agents on occasion that carriers will allow people to finance or pay their premium on a per-transaction basis so that the agent says, well, look, I'm paying X amount of dollars with every closing. I bought insurance for that transaction. And that's not really how it works. It's just that's the way they allow them to pay it and spread the payments out over time. But they're not buying it for that specific transaction. Okay. If, uh, if an agent earns their broker's license, does their liability increase or change as far as the E&O coverage is concerned? Uh, they remain with the original employing broker under the uh, E&O insurance through that firm. If, if they're remaining with the original employing broker and acting as a salesperson, even though they have a broker's license, their liability does not change. If they're acting as a broker by actually transacting the business and have agents or salespeople underneath them, uh, then in our view, their liability does change because they have multiplied transactions going on underneath their broker's license. If I have an individual policy as an agent and then later open you know, my own brokerage, can my individual policy then be transferred to cover the brokerage? If you have one of ours, absolutely. You can take you, you can take your coverage from being a salesperson on your old deals and and carry that over into being a broker on your own and other people's deals. That's sort of the ultimate continuous coverage. And I wanted to get to your point, uh, your question, Robert, about uh, you asked about cost. Um, it, generally, coverage for most uh, salespeople is going to run about two to three hundred dollars. Um, California and Texas are going to cost more because they're more litigious uh, places, but it's remarkably affordable. I'm sorry, that was two to three hundred dollars a month. I'm sorry, two, two, two to three hundred dollars for a year. Oh, for a year, okay. In California and Texas are, are going to be more like five to seven hundred dollars. Okay, a couple of questions about broad. What the term broad coverage? What does that mean? In our view, broad coverage means coverage for all activity that you've conducted and coverage that's written by an insurance company that specializes in real estate. Um, let me give you an, an example of something that we see from time to time. A non-real estate specialist insurance company will write a policy that covers a real estate brokerage for services they provide for a fee. Then the claim comes in for services that the real estate firm provided not for a fee, like property preservation in anticipation of a listing that never happens, or a freebie, a piece of advice, and they find they have no coverage for it. Or miscellaneous, non-broad kind of coverage provides protection for 
the named insured, which is usually a real estate brokerage, and its employees. Well, most real estate agents and salespeople that I know um, are classified as independent contractors. And so a policy needs to have broad coverage by including all independent contractors and even licensed and unlicensed assistance of those independent contractors in order to be broad. Okay. Well, let's um, pause on the questions for a second and let you guys um, continue on with your presentation. And then we can, with the time that we have left, we can pick up the last remaining ones. Thanks, Robert. Uh, what you should look for in an insurance company, first, uh, financial stability is important. You're asking a company to be there and protect you one, two, three, five, ten years in the future. And the best place to go to look for that is a website called ambest.com. And AMBEST does a torturous job of examining insurance companies for claims paying ability. They have a bunch of other ratings that don't mean anything about bond market issues and, and discount costs, but the claims paying ability is the first thing to look at. And a company that's A rated by AMBEST or better, whether it be A minus, A or A plus, means excellent. And no A rated company that I was aware of even went under and didn't pay claims from 9-11. Um, that means the company is very, very well capitalized. Uh, a secondary thing to look at is the category size, which is a little Roman numeral thing. And 15 is the biggest. And that means essentially a company has two plus billion extra dollars over and above uh, the money they've already set aside to pay claims. The second thing to look for is an admitted insurance company. And you might say, gosh, what does that mean? Um, an admitted insurance company is, is one that has its rates, rules, and forms reviewed by state regulators. And admitted insurance uh, tends to be uh, more stable in their forms and rate environment because the companies can't go change things on a, on a dime or issue you a piece of coverage that um, no one else has uh, because they had to get approval first. There's also some added level of protection against insolvency by admitted insurance companies. Um, if, if you see a, a tax or a stamping fee or something like that on your insurance documents, you probably don't have admitted insurance. Uh, the third thing to look for is solid business history, um, particularly in specialist coverage. I mean, real estate doesn't work like other businesses for a whole host of reasons, not the least of which is the transactors are not employees in most cases of the, of the uh, brokerage. Um, so the policies have to be custom and crafted in such a way as to provide protection to the independent contractor salespeople for all of the exposures that the insurance company wants to take on. And um, most insurance companies that specialize in this line of business want to cover more, not less. And in order to make sure you do that, uh, make sure that the firm has been around for a long time, at least 10 years, specializing in real estate. Uh, because they, you want the mistakes to, that they're going to make to be made on someone else. You don't want a, a company that's, uh, you, know, you wouldn't go to a, a guy for a foot surgery that's uh, been practicing podiatry for two years. You'd go to one that's been practicing for 20. Same thing holds true with insurance companies. And you also want to see how well you're treated. Um, as we, we talked before, the questions alluded to, there's a fair amount of changes that can be requested or happen on an insurance policy. And you want a company that's happy to do that and get you what you need, uh, not a call center someplace that, that treats you as if it's uh, they're doing you a favor by modifying your coverage. 
Now, on the policy, we've talked about this a couple of times, and, and Robert so um, uh, so well drove it home with the phantom property management coverage. Make sure it lists as cover all the activities you perform. Um, the last thing an insurance company wants to do is say, well, this client is doing property management, and now we're not going to pay their claim, even though we should have known they were doing it in the first place. Make sure it's listed. If you pick up a commercial deal, call your insurance company. If you get a listing on a business opportunity and you're not sure if you have the coverage, pick up the phone and call your insurance company to be sure. Once it's on there, it'll stay on there forever and you'll be in great shape. Uh, I alluded before to the real estate form and avoid the miscellaneous uh, policies. The miscellaneous policies are just that. They're the ones designed to fit things that aren't otherwise defined and they create enough loopholes and gaps that we could have another webinar on those. And and drive it home again and ensure that it can be modified at any time. Now beyond the policy, uh, insurance companies that are in business to take your money and transfer risk in the long run don't belong in the marketplace. Um, insurance companies that help clients be more successful and avoid and mitigate risk, um, then they're really partners, not just counterparties. And so look for a company that's a partner. Look for companies that have claim prevention tools to help you get out of claims in the first place, um, like risk management. Uh, Rob Sunderland handles a great number of risk management inquiries for us. That's not a claim on a policy. That's us hiring Rob to help our client get out of it in the first place. And those matters don't just crop up uh, Monday through Friday, uh, 9 to 5. They happen on the weekends. In fact, more often than not, the bad ones happen on the weekends, and you need immediate advice. Make sure you've got 24-7 support from your real estate attorneys. Make sure they focus on real estate. Uh, Rob, do you do any uh, family law? Zero. Do you do any trust in the states? Zero. You want to find a specialist that knows the ins and outs of one particular class of activity and knows how to best protect your brokers. Lots of insurance companies have rules where they hire some giganto firm from New York or Los Angeles uh, or Chicago to handle all the matters that they have, whether it's a director's and officer's claim on a securities matter or a car accident and, or a slip and fall in a restaurant. And those aren't the people you want securing your livelihood, some junior associate that has maybe had one other real estate case in her life. Dealing directly through an insurance broker, um, some clients uh, like to deal with insurance brokers, some like to deal direct. Um, we work both ways. We're happy to work with clients' brokers um, if they have a relationship. Uh, the one thing that we suggest all real estate firms look for is a broker with a particular expertise in this line of business. Um, otherwise, you end up like that big company we talked about before that sold through their captive agents and lost all of these agents and brokers' coverage for their past deals. And you want to look for companies that have services and products that help your business and help you close more deals. And one of the things that, that we've done today is, is share with you um, a product we sell, which is a comprehensive permit history report. So attendees today are, are getting some free reports from us. Check them out. Um, they're incredibly valuable to us. Check out your neighbor's house if you want. Um, it'll tell you when the roof was done, who did it, how much it costs, uh, how old it is, 
Uh, you know, whether work was done unpermitted or not is, is really important to us in the E&O business, and this is a great tool to go check that out. Um, those are the sorts of things that you should look for, a company that does those sorts of things when you're looking to partner with someone. So in closing, uh, by carrying an individual policy at the salesperson level, uh, you get peace of mind. You never have to wonder or look into that crystal ball to see, gosh, you know, what changed? Uh, is my firm going to go out of business in eight years? Uh, is my broker going to pass away? Um, is, is the bookkeeper going to forget to pay for the coverage and wipe out all this old protection? Um, it's personal. An individual policy, as one of the callers suggested, hey, I need to change this. How do I get it done? I need to add property management. Well, it's personal to you, and you're the contractor, so you call your company and say, add my property management. Portability. Uh, one of the questioners asked about moving from an individual salesperson under another's license to starting their own firm. Um, no other arrangement lets you keep continuous coverage unless you carry it at the salesperson level. And lastly, control. Uh, don't trust someone else to make all those decisions. It's your business. It's your livelihood. Uh, for a couple hundred dollars in most states, isn't it worth it? Rob, anything to add? No, I think you've covered it succinctly. If we have some additional questions, perhaps we can get to those if we have time. Yeah, we have uh, got a few more minutes, and uh, some of the among some of the questions that come in, one person asked, would it be better to get individual coverage from the same company as the broker's policy, or does that not make any difference? I think that's the best way to go about it. Um, it's not necessary. But that would be the most seamless way to deal with the uh, claim that comes in against both policies, having the same company do it. And I think the notion with that is you have mirror image type policies in a perfect world. So it dovetails more cleanly. You won't have loopholes from one policy to the next, perhaps. Of course, that presumes everybody's got the right endorsements and they've, you know, your, your broker uh, or your direct agent's obviously done their due diligence for you as well. But yes, it should be more seamless that way. Um, if I have agents who are just getting referrals, do they need to have E&O you know, insurance? <laughs> Rob can take that one. I'm sure he's defended agents that have uh, only taken referrals. Uh, you know, that's where you get into what is is. I mean, what are we talking about all of a sudden? Uh, you know, an agent will say it was just a referral. It was nothing different than saying, uh, you know, this is a good gardener or a good maintenance person. Uh, the argument uh, that plaintiff's attorneys will come up with is they will always say, gee, how can I sue you as well? Because the more the merrier. They don't want to have a small party. They want a big party with more pockets to fleece. And the answer is they're going to say it was a negligent referral. You had no business referring that agent to me. If that agent did something bad, it's your fault. You should have known they were going to be negligent. I was relying on you. You were my point of contact. And I've seen numerous people get sued over the years just based on referrals. It doesn't mean that they don't get out of a lawsuit. It doesn't mean that, in my opinion, it is not frivolous. But nonetheless, somebody needs to be there to defend them. And unfortunately, that costs money. And having a policy in place to protect you for that is very important. So yes, referrals are a gateway to litigation as well. 
Uh, one last question. We had several questions that were state-specific, uh, California, Texas, um, some other states that were mentioned. And do you have a reference for attendees about if they have a specific question about what they should do in their state or what their state requirements are, where is there a central place where they can go? Yeah, or Steve Sargenti will give you a cell phone. <laughs> Just uh, just have them uh, contact us, call us on our 800 number, and uh, uh, and we'll be happy to help them. Okay. Well, um, um, you know, we're pretty much out of time. I want to thank you know Robert and Steve for walking us through the um, you know the benefits of getting an individual E&O insurance uh, policy. I thought it was really interesting, and uh, I I hope it was valuable for.